And this morning we'll read verses 18 through 30. And uh, we're, we're in the upper room uh, with Jesus uh, and his disciples. Uh, this is the night, and, and later on in the night, Jesus will be arrested. And then the next day he'll be up on a cross. And, and he will die on that cross. But he has this time with his disciples, and he's teaching them. And, and it is the Passover uh, feast, the Passover meal, and it got started oddly. Jesus is the host of this Passover meal that, that's been uh, clear, and, and it's we can see that here in John and the other Gospels. Jesus is the guy that's in charge, and, and uh, it started with a foot washing. He, he washed the disciples' feet. Well, that's not really part of the whole Passover tradition, but Jesus did this and pointing uh, to the cross. Here is the, the exalted one, and he became the servant and, and washed their feet. And, and in that, when we talked about it, we, we saw this was a clear pointing to the cross, the exalted one who will humble himself to the point of dying on a cross. And, and also, he did that as an example. Uh, when we see in verse 15, he mentions that. I've, I've given you this as an example that you should do as I have done, that you will... Uh, you will lower yourself for the good of others. And then he mentioned, he, in verse 17, uh, he mentions, um, if you do these things, blessed are you if you do them. However, now there's going to be an issue. And so we'll pick up on Jesus' uh, speech here. And we, we caught him, or I should say we kind of ended mid-thought and so we're going to pick up here as Jesus is still speaking. And so uh, let's pick up here. Remember Jesus speaking in John chapter 13, beginning at verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. 
the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we ask that you will speak to our hearts now as we look into your word that, that we will be strengthened by your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the Passover feast is going on and, and uh, we've been warned uh, and now it's made very clear to us that, that there's a traitor in the room as, as we're in this upper room with Jesus and his disciples. There is one who is going to betray Jesus. And uh, this warning actually uh, goes back all the way to chapter 6. Uh, when uh, we first ran into Judas Iscariot and, and uh, John writes uh, that Jesus spoke that, that one of you is a devil and, and he spoke of Judas. And this was the first time we knew uh, that Judas was going to be an issue. Uh, in chapter 12, uh, verse 4, we found out that John hinted to us, uh, well, told us outright that Judas was a betrayer and also a thief verse 6 of chapter 12. Uh, a few things are going on with Judas. And earlier in this chapter, in verse 2, uh, John tells us that it is Judas who is going to betray Jesus. But, but as we're at the meal, uh, John doesn't know this yet. You know, he, all, he wrote this gospel afterwards and, and gives us this warning as we read through it. But at the meal, John doesn't know this. None of the disciples know uh, who this betrayer is. And, and this meal, as I've mentioned, has gotten off to a, a weird start. You know, the, Jesus, as the host of the meal, starts washing their feet. Well, this isn't part of the Passover tradition at all. And then, uh, after the foot washing, now there's this talk of, of a betrayer in, in the room. One of you is going to betray me, and... And you think, you know, the disciples in the back of their head are thinking, what's going on? You know, we, we have celebrations that we love. Christmas, Easter, uh, there are things like Thanksgiving or maybe patriotic holidays. And there are certain traditions that we have. And when that tradition gets thrown off, there's always something in the back of your mind saying that this isn't how it's supposed to be. And we've... We've all felt that, especially this last year and a half with the pandemic and, and Christmas has been a little different and all these things. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking that it's supposed to be different. The whole thing's thrown off and it just feels wrong on some level. And, and that's what the disciples are feeling here, that this is wrong. This isn't really how a Passover meal is supposed to be going here. But Jesus is, is saying this for a reason. He's making this as clear as he can to them, although they don't understand everything, because of what's coming up in the future. And, and he said, now I'm, uh, I know whom I have chosen in, in verse 18. And, and then he says, but scripture is going to be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Uh, and this comes from Psalm uh, 49, or 41, verse 9. In fact, if I read that, that whole verse from Psalm 41, it reads this, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, 
who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And it's a good psalm for Jesus to use here, a good prophecy to use, because of that phrase, has lifted his heel against me. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson asks this question, as I quote him, he, he writes, is that expression, lifted his heel against me, deliberately reminiscent of the promise of Genesis 3.15 that the serpent would crush the heel of the Savior. It is as though in seeking to crush the Savior, the evil, would, evil one would, as it were, miss his head and catch him only on the heel. Jesus knew that there was a strand of prophecy running from Genesis 3.15 through Psalm 41.9 and beyond that would be fulfilled in him. Jesus is uh, basically pointing out to the disciples this, this prophecy about me goes all the way back to Genesis. All the way back when God talked about this promised one and it ran through the whole Old Testament and, and Jesus is basically saying, and here it is. Here, here I am. And he's laying the groundwork for the disciples because he wants them later on to be able to put this all together. They're not going to get it right away, but they'll, they'll have to put it all together, especially after the resurrection. But even uh, before the resurrection, he's telling them this and laying this groundwork because he wants them to hang together so that they can talk about this. And they will do this. When Jesus dies on the cross, they'll, they'll be together. And he wants them to, to hang together, knowing, all right, it's going to be okay. I'm telling you all this now, Jesus says in verse 19, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And that, that's an interesting phrase, too, I am he. Now, Jesus has been making I am statements uh, through the book of John. Uh, I am the light. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Jesus has been making these statements. In fact, uh, we have a couple more in, in uh, chapter 14. I am the way and the life and the truth. In chapter 15, I am the true vine. There's more coming up. But the most striking I am statement he has made was back in John chapter 8, verse 58, when the Pharisees and the religious leaders were arguing with him, and, and then Jesus mentioned Abraham, and they said, what, you're not even 50 years old, and Abraham was all that time ago, and you're trying to tell us you know Abraham, and Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And in the Greek, that's ego a me, I am, and it was a clear, clear statement of deity. He was saying, I am God. That's the name God used to identify himself in the Old Testament. I am ego a me. And what's interesting about verse 19 is that word he that we have here in our English, I am he, that word he is not there. The statement actually ends in the Greek that you may believe that I am. So in the disciples' minds, they had to be thinking, Oh, I remember Jesus saying this. I am. 
Jesus is reminding them, he is God. He is God. And he wants them to keep believing that, to keep that in mind. And he said, truly, truly, then in verse 20, when I say to you, or I say to you, whoever receives the one I send uh, receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, Jesus is going to come back to this statement after the resurrection. In chapter 20, verse 21, he'll tell his disciples, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. See, the disciples, they have this mission, and it is from God himself. And Jesus is basically saying that. He's given us a preview of that right here. You have a mission. I'm going to send you out. And in sending you out, if they receive you, your message, they're, they're receiving God. This message is God's message. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. That's coming up. He's laying that groundwork, preparing them for that. And he'll talk about how they'll be empowered to go out. But at present, we've got a concerning issue in the room. At present, there's a betrayer among us in this room. And so in verse 21, uh, Jesus, we see he was troubled in spirit and testifies and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples look around at one another, uncertain of, of whom he spoke. And you can almost... Uh, see the confusion on their face. One of us? The, these were all trusted men. The, these were guys who had been looking out for each other and, and they were following Jesus and they hung in there through some pretty tough times and, and they're thinking, one of us? Uh, will it happen inadvertently? And in Matthew, when we read about this, in Matthew 26, the disciples asked Jesus, is it me? Am I going to slip up somehow? Am I going to accidentally say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and, and this whole thing is, and I'm going to blow it all? And, and that's not a real far-fetched thought that they're having. I know many people who have this today. I've talked to many who have the same idea. Lord, is, am I going to accidentally say something? Or am I going to be tricked into something and I'm going to blow my whole relationship with you? And the answer to that is no. Judas knows exactly what he's doing. The plan is set. He's already got that set. There's going to be nothing inadvertent or accidental about this. The disciples, they know their weaknesses. But what's going to happen is very purposeful on Judas's part. In fact, in Matthew 26, we see even Judas, he plays the part really well. Even Judas asked Jesus, Lord, is it, is it I? That's after he'd already planned to do it. Is it I? But the disciples have no idea. In fact, later on in verse 29, when Judas gets up to leave, they all think he's out to do something good. And we'll get to that a little bit later, but they have no idea that it could possibly be Judas but one of you will betray me. And the disciples are on edge. And, and noticeably confused, noticeably off. And, and I say that because 
of the response of a couple of them, they respond in a way we wouldn't normally expect. When you look at Peter in verses uh, 23 and, and, and 24, uh, there's Peter. And, and here's what we know about Peter. When something happens, he speaks right up without even thinking sometimes. And he's pretty bold in what he says. And you would imagine if Jesus were to say in this room, one of you is going to betray me, that Peter would pop right up and say, point him out, Jesus, and let me at him. I'll give him the old what for, where is he? I'll take him down right now. No one's going to betray you, Lord, because I'll tackle him before he gets out the door. That's what we would expect of Peter. That's what he normally does. But he doesn't hear. He's, he's confused. And he's motioning to John. Now, John is the one uh, most likely, almost positively, where it says of whom, you know, the, the one that Jesus loved. And we'll get to that another time. But, but that's, that's John. And, and so Peter is, is motioning to John, kind of pantomiming, you know, you know figure out who this is. Who, who is this guy? And John, even when he should have known who it was, he should have seen the signal. He doesn't say anything either. Because you wonder if in the back of his mind he's thinking, no, that, that can't be right. Something's going on. That, that, I, I must be missing something here. I've got to keep waiting a little while. They don't say anything. Now, what's interesting about the, the Passover uh, feast and, and the way they would sit is the seating was somewhat important. Uh, the, there were places of honor. And as this Passover is happening, we would see that Jesus is the host and in the high, place of highest honor. And then those sitting next to him would be the next highest honors, if you will. And using this and, and other Gospels, we won't look at all of them, but using this and some of the other Gospels, we can pretty much assume that John is sitting right next to Jesus. Peter apparently isn't. Peter must be a little ways away because he had to motion to John to ask him this, this question. And, and as we read some of this, we see that John is probably right next to Jesus and probably on his right-hand side, just the way they would recline at the table. And, and probably on the right-hand side, which is not the place of second highest honor. Actually, that would be to Jesus' left. And it's quite probable that Judas is in that seat, right on Jesus' left, the second place of honor, if you will. And we get that, first of all, in Matthew 26, I mentioned, Judas asked Jesus, is it I? And Jesus answers him, and none of the other disciples hear. Also, we have Jesus giving him this morsel, and it, he didn't get up to do it. It's like he just handed it to him. Maybe not right away, because here's the thing. Uh, also at the Passover feast, there is this tradition that they had where the host would dip a, a morsel into uh, this, this dip that they had made and, and give it to someone. And... And that may be this tradition that, that John is talking about here. He doesn't identify it as such, but it may be. 
And that was a, an act of, as R.C. Sproul writes, apparently a favor reserved for a guest of honor. It would be kind of part of, of the meal where the host would, would do this and, and dip a, a certain morsel. It may have been bread or, or it could have been meats, but probably bread. And then, uh, and then give it to this guy. And it was, it, was, uh, it was kind of an honorable thing. And so that may be what John is referring to here when Jesus dips that morsel and gives it to Judas. And one theologian writes this about that, and that final act of love becomes with a terrible immediacy the decisive movement of judgment. At this moment, we are witnessing the climax of that action of sifting of separation, of judgment. So the final gesture of affection precipitates the final surrender of Judas to the power of darkness. And then he, uh, he quotes, uh, the theologian quotes uh, from John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's as though Jesus has been extending every act of kindness that he can to Judas. He has washed his feet, has put him at this place of honor, has dipped the morsel and given it to him. But Judas is in the dark. And Judas has his mind on something else. Judas has 30 pieces of silver on his mind that he's going to collect when he turns Jesus over. Judas has the world on his mind. But he's not looking at the light. He's not walking in the light. And so Jesus said, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And he goes out. And as I mentioned, all the disciples assume he's going to do something good. They said, well, maybe he's going to get something that we need for the meal. And, and I wondered about that. I said, could they actually go buy something during the Passover feast? And they had made provisions for that. You, uh, the religious leaders know how forgetful we can all be. So there, yes, he could have been buying something for the feast or giving something to the poor. That also was part of the Passover feast tradition. Uh, some would go and, and give uh, things to the poor during the feast. So it makes sense that they would think that they had no idea what Judas was up to, and Judas left. And then that haunting uh, end to that passage, and it was night. It's dark. Jesus, uh, back in chapter 9, verse 4, had talked about the night. And he told his disciples, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And he was talking about that period uh, when he would be away because the cross had taken him away. Uh, Jesus also in chapter 11, uh, verses 9 and 10 said, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And for Judas, this is a terrible, terrible night. 
But he leaves. And Jesus is there with the rest of his disciples. And we won't get into it today, but the next thing he says is something very, very surprising. The next thing Jesus says then is, now the Son of Man is glorified. Judas thinks he's in charge. The, the religious leaders think they're in charge. Satan thinks he's in charge of what's going on, but Jesus knows and is in charge of all things. And he's got the plan. And he will be glorified. And when we look around at the world, it seems like night, doesn't it? It seems like it is such a dark world. It seems like somebody else is in charge. It seems like the godless are running everything. And sometimes we ask ourselves that. Who is in charge here? What's going on? And we all know our own weaknesses, and we can be like the disciples and say, and am I okay, Lord? Am I part of the problem? Or am I okay? Am I going to accidentally slip up and blow this whole thing? Blow my salvation? We know that question. We know what it's, this, what it's like to sit there and, and say, God, I just don't think this is how it's supposed to be. I really don't. But Jesus is laying the groundwork here for his disciples, and he continues to lay the groundwork for us in our lives. He is God. And he is sovereign. And everything that happened in that Old Testament was pointing to him. We can read that and we can say, yes, everything Christ did, it was talked about beforehand. This wasn't all an accident. It wasn't all a mistake. And when he says he knows who are his and he will be with us, we can take that promise. He is with us. I won't inadvertently slip up or be tricked into something. We are sent by God. He is all in this. He has all power, and he will be glorified. And he has a message for us to proclaim. He will be sending us into the world. He will empower us with the Holy Spirit. That's some of the teaching we'll get to later on in this upper room. But at this moment, as Judas leaves and we see it was night, we know the feeling of night. But as John clearly said very way back in chapter 1, the darkness cannot overcome the light. And Jesus is the light. And he has us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being there when it seems so dark, when we are confused, when we are wondering about ourselves even. We know our weaknesses. 
when it seems like the bad guys have taken over. Lord, help us remember that you are in charge and that you will be glorified and that we are your children and that you are with us as you send us into this world. Lord, we thank you that Christ died on the cross, that we do have salvation in him, the forgiveness of our sins, that we can turn to you to be strengthened. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.